Well, this happened about 20 years ago. On a summer Sunday morning, very similar to this, I was preaching at Grace Church at Willow Valley, right up by Willow Street and Lancaster border. And one of the unique characteristics about that church is that it was located right across the street from Willow Valley Restaurant and Willow Valley Motel. And what would happen, especially during the summer months, a number of people would come from the motel across the street to the church for a worship service. So it was kind of cool because I got to meet people from all over the country who would come to Willow Valley, stay for the weekend or for the week, and they would come to church. So, so the church service for a Sunday was pretty full because there were lots of guests there. And I launched into my introduction to my sermon and I was going at it pretty good. And then as I was looking at the congregation and looking at the different people, all of a sudden I spotted Haddon Robinson in the audience. Now to most of you people, you have no idea who Haddon Robinson is. Um, but maybe some of you older people would remember Haddon Robinson from when he was the Bible teacher on Back to the Bible Radio. But trust me when I say this, that Haddon Robinson is a giant in pastoral circles. I mean, Jesse, you know the name Haddon Robinson, don't you? Um, Haddon Robinson was sitting in the audience and I couldn't believe it. I mean, Haddon Robinson has more degrees than a thermometer. I mean, he has a bachelor's degree. He has two master's degrees. He has a PhD and he has two honorary doctorates. That's just starters for Haddon Robinson. Well, <clears throat> not only does he have all these degrees, he was on the faculty at Dallas Theological Seminary. He also was president of Denver Seminary. He also was president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he was also the distinguished professor of preaching. In the late 1990s, he was named one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. In 2006, he was recognized by Christianity Today in the top 25 most influential preachers of the past 50 years. He wrote more than a dozen books and had many, many articles published in periodicals. In fact, his most popular book is called Biblical Preaching. So that's Haddon Robinson and he was sitting in the congregation and I was preaching. When I spotted him, I froze. I mean, I, I, I just froze because there was Haddon Robinson. I, 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 I lost my train of thought. I, I just froze. And finally, I apologized to the congregation. I said, sorry, sorry, folks. I, uh, 
I just spotted Haddon Robinson in our congregation. Haddon, it's good to have you here today. Um, um, let me find my place in my notes so I can, you know, oh my word. Talk about feeling insignificant. Talk about feeling really small. You had this giant of a man in the congregation and I was preaching to him. Oh man. Well, I swallowed really hard, tried to find my place in my notes and I launched into my sermon. After the service, I had a chance to chat with him and uh, found out that he just moved to Willow Valley Retirement Community in Spring Run. And uh, I had the opportunity to visit with he and his wife, Bonnie, in their apartment. It was pretty cool. But let me tell you, when, you're, when you were in the presence of Haddon Robinson, you felt like you were in the presence of a godly man who is a giant of the faith. And his goal was to love Jesus. That was all he wanted to do, is to love Jesus. Well, I will always remember that feeling on that Sunday morning, feeling small, feeling insignificant, feeling like, oh my word, um, I need to not blow it big time because there is Haddon Robinson. Now, maybe you have not had a similar experience like that, but maybe you have had feelings of insignificance because maybe nobody notices what you do. Maybe no one appreciates the things that you've been doing for other people. Maybe you feel like, well, my job is not important. Maybe you do have feelings of insignificance, that I am unimportant, that I'm just, I'm not making any difference in the world. Well, the good news is there's a song about that. Now, the good news is I'm not going to sing it. Can I get an amen? No, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. The song I'm talking about is found in Psalm 139. So let's look at Psalm 139. To some of you, this is a very familiar song. You know what? I'm going to move this pulpit down there because there are things that I'm going to trip over up here. So I hope you don't mind that. Because I feel like I'm going to make a fool of myself tripping on something. Psalm 139. In fact, we're going to answer two questions. How well does God know me? And the second question is, how close is God to me? Now, before we look at the first 12 verses of Psalm 139, we read of the Lord, his spirit, his presence, your presence, and we also see a lot, of, a lot of words like me and I and my. To the psalmist, God is there. 
God is there. He is reachable. He is knowable. He is knowledgeable. He is available. And he is very real. All alienation from God is removed. All strained formalities and religious protocol is totally erased. Not only is he here, but he is involved and he is interested in each of us as individuals. As we live in this small speck of a planet in the universe. All right, let's look at the first question. How well does God know me? Verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. In these first four verses of Psalm 139, we are given sufficient information to discover that God is omniscient. It's a big theological term for God knows everything. David says, God, you search me. The Hebrew term for the word search there means to to explore, to dig down in. And the idea that God explores our hearts, explores our minds, he digs in and examines it. In fact, he does so so that we are known totally through and through. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In 1 Chronicles 28, 9, David said this, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and thought. Solomon was standing before the altar of the Lord and speaking to God in front of the crowd assembled, he said this in 2 Kings 8. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart. The idea of God knowing our hearts, our intentions, our thoughts, it's not just one obscure verse in the Bible that we find this, but as you can see over again, it talks about God knowing our hearts, because he searches our hearts. David said, you have searched me. It's already been done. It's not something that David's going to look forward to because he says, you have searched me. David goes on to say, when I sit, 
When I'm chilling, God knows me. When I'm standing up, when I'm doing things, when I'm active, God knows me. In our casual moments, in our busyness, God knows us. You know, we can see the thoughts that enter people's heads when their faces kind of light up. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. And sometimes we telegraph our thoughts because we speak them. We talk about things. We share things. But, you know, God already knows all of that even before it happens. God understands that whole process that goes into our thinking before it comes out, before our face lights up, before the words that we say. It says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. David says, you know know me completely. You know me completely. In fact, we are known so completely that Matthew 10.30 says this, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Wow. You know, when you pause to think about that for a second, God knows every word of every language, written and unwritten. He knows the thoughts of every person on every continent in the whole world. And he knows that every minute of every day. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? But that's how big our God is. But you know, God's just not concerned about the mental trivia that happens in our minds. No, he's concerned about our relationship with him. God is concerned about how we view him. In God's omniscience, uh, A.W. Tozer writes this, that God knows everything. To say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. God perfectly knows himself, and being the source and author of all things, it follows that he knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and without and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows nothing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information. 
our heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us. Since he knew us utterly before, we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. How well does God know us? God knows us totally. God not only knows us totally, but he also loves us with a love that is unequaled anywhere. So just in case you have a feeling of insignificance, if that's still doing a number in your, in your life, know that God knows us completely and yet still loves us totally. So you say, well, okay, great, God knows me. I mean, he can do that at a distance, you know, through millions and millions of light years of space. Um, yeah, all right. But if God knows me, um, how close is he to me? Is he near? Is, is he close enough that I can feel his presence? Well, let's take a look at what David says here in Psalm 139. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Look what he says. He says that you hem me in behind and before me. Now, the idea is not that, you know, we are trapped, okay? It's not the idea that he entraps us so that, you know, we're, we're doomed, we're, we're stuck. The idea that he hems me in is the idea of that he surrounds us to protect us. He surrounds us because he is watching over us. says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In Psalm 34, 7, it says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And that explains why God's hand is upon us, so that he can deliver us. David said, wow, in thinking about how God surrounds us and thinking about how, how God has his hand upon us, he says, man, verse 6, that just blows my mind, he says. Just blows my mind. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, for me, too lofty for me to attain. So wonderful were the proofs of God's knowledge and control that David just couldn't contain himself. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Man, it just blows my mind that God can do this. 
Yes, God is near. Then verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkest will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David asked the question, all right, so you, you, you encamp around me. Um, but what if I go, what, what if I do? David said, no. Even if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. David is saying, wow, God, you are omnipresent. Another theological term for God is everywhere. There is not a place that we can go to escape from God's presence. Jonah thought that, didn't he? Jonah thought, well, you know what? God told me to go to Nineveh, but I'm going to go to another place. You know, God found him in the belly of a great fish in the ocean. There was no place that Jonah could go that God was not there. The end of verse 8, it says, you are there. And the idea of the you there, it's like, man, God, I just can't get away from you. You, the omnipresent God, is there. Jeremiah 23, 24 says this, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Nope, there is no place that we can go that God's presence is not there. Verse 9 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, that's a difficult passage for sure. Um, some are trying to figure out what does it mean that rise on the wings of the dawn. Some Bible scholars are saying that maybe it has to do with the speed of light. That, hey, if I go the speed of light, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I go here and there, it's like, God, you are there. I can't go too fast that you cannot keep up with me. You are there. And he says that, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is omnipresent. 
no matter where we go, no matter how fast we get there, God's presence is always with us. So those times that we do feel insignificant, those times that we are struggling with, you know, what, who am I, what am I doing, know that God loves you and his presence is with you. And no matter where we go, God is there. We can never escape from his presence. David finishes up here in verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Have you ever been scared of the dark? Have you ever said, oh, I'm not going to go into that place because it's, it's too dark in there. I need to get some light first. David said, you know what, even, even the dark places that we don't like to go to, God is there. God's presence is there. In Hebrews 4.13, it says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Feeling insignificant, feeling small, feeling like, you know, well, nobody cares about me, nobody notices me at all. Know that we have a friend who loves us and loves us despite knowing us completely. Knowing our thoughts, Knowing our goings and comings, God loves us completely. So for those times that we feel insignificant, feeling small, take these words from Psalm 139, verses 1 to 12. Know that you matter to God. Know that you are loved by God. Know that you are in the presence of God. You know, when we do that, when we think about that, we're not small. We're not insignificant. Because the God of all creation, the God who is stellar, loves us, which makes you very significant in his eyes. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for loving us despite knowing us so well. God, thank you for loving us to the point that you are always with us. Lord, we are so grateful that we are significant in your eyes. 
Thank you that we have meaning and purpose in your eyes. God, direct us in that so that we can bring honor and glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, after we sing our closing song, I'm going to invite you to join us for a prayer time in different locations um, in our building and outside. Because I heard a missionary say, say this once. He says, you know, your money gets me there. Your money gets me to those countries. But it's your prayers that make me effective in my ministry. And I thought, that's good. That'll preach. So you know what? All the money you gave so we can buy all this stuff. That's great. That's awesome. But it won't, be a, won't amount to anything unless God is in it and God moves in the hearts and lives of kids. So that's what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for our crew leaders, for our teachers, for everyone involved, that God is going to move in our Bible school so that we can help kids come to know Jesus and become more like Jesus. So after our song, we're going to, I'm going to give some instructions on where to go, but we want to spend some time in prayer just covering our whole program in prayer, asking God to move tonight.